0: can have a seat. Good morning, church. My name is John Vanderveld. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. Our senior pastor is out on sabbatical. I've been filling in this summer, doing a little bit more preaching. I was gone last week. I was actually uh, struck this morning. Uh, I was gone last week with two uh, men that serve on our elder board. They're also dear friends. We were down in Indiana, and we did a hundred-mile gravel bike race uh, together how many church elders do that with their pastors, right? It's pretty awesome, huh? Uh, we had a great time. I was struck this morning. Glenn, who led communion, is one of our elders as well. And, man, I just felt blessed this morning at the, the leadership in our church. And they're, they're pouring into to the, the life of my life um, and the life of this church. So I uh, just felt blessed. That's side content, bonus content uh, this morning. We're going to be in Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians 2. Uh, verse 16 through 23 this morning. I'm going to read and teach through it, kind of as we go. So um, we'll read a little bit, and then we'll we'll stop and we'll talk, and then I'll read a little bit more, and we'll just kind of make our way through the section this morning. Paul starts in Colossians 2. Therefore, so we're going to go word by word today, and um, and anytime you see or hear the word or read the word therefore you got to stop, right? you got to go back because you got to remind yourself or figure out what the person's talking about that's leading them to say or write what they're, what they're about to write. So let's go back, just a couple verses, so that we're informed about what Paul is about to share with us in this section this morning. Let's go back to chapter 2, 13 through 15. Paul writes, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, death to life in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." So Paul here is saying we were, we were once dead in our sin, now we're brought alive to Christ. We were, we were once indebted, and now we are totally free because of Christ. This is a, a freedom declaration that Paul has made. You are, you are free because of Christ. You are free from the debt, free from being enslaved by your sin. You are free in and with Christ. Christ. And and that is informing this next section of the text that we're gonna walk through this morning. This proclamation of truth about our freedom moves Paul to write this next section of the text. And it, it's a series of warnings for the church, warnings to guard this freedom that they have in Christ. So let's read verse 16. In, in 17 together, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do you hear the warning? Don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone condemn you by what you eat or drink or, or your acknowledgement of this new moon celebration can be a little confusing. What, what is Paul talking about here? What is this, this stuff about diet and what is this new moon celebration? Let's, let's talk about it a little bit here. Let's go through it a little bit. What Paul is referring to here is, is the Old Testament law. More, more specifically, the law that's found in Leviticus. And, and the law in Leviticus has some very, very detailed and specific Instructions about what the Jewish people could and could not eat. There's actually instructions about if they, act, if they touched something that they weren't allowed to consume, how they became, became cleansed again. So there was a clean and unclean uh, a list in Leviticus. It's found in chapter 11. I'm not going to read it this morning. It's long and it's got tons of detail about the diet of someone who is Jewish um, back in the Old Testament. There's also in the law some very specific instructions about what's called the new moon celebration. That is the start of a new month. And God tells his people when, when there's a new moon, a start of a new month, you are to offer additional animal sacrifices, additional sacrifices from what you'd normally do on Sabbath. You're going to offer more sacrifices to me because it's the start of something New And on that new moon festival, that new moon celebration, you're going to also take a se- an additional Sabbath day. So Paul is talking about here the old law, which if you didn't follow those instructions about diet, you were, you were condemned by the law. If you didn't follow those instructions about the new moon celebration, you were condemned by the law. And what Paul is teaching here is that you are, you're no longer condemned by the law. Because of Christ, you are set Free. So, what's going on in Colossae, we weren't there, we don't know for sure, but what we can speculate pretty educatedly is that there were some Jews in Colossae that were teaching, or, or maybe people that were influenced by the Jews who were teaching in Colossae, that you had to continue to follow these regulations, to follow the law in order to avoid being condemned, and Paul is saying that the law no longer has that power to condemn you, that no one can tell you that because you don't do these things, you, don't, you eat those things that you're not supposed to eat, you, that, that doesn't matter anymore. All that matters is your relationship with Jesus, that Jesus is enough. Jesus sets you free. Jesus is what cleanses you, and you, you have no condemnation. You are no longer indebted. Your sin is, is buried because of Jesus. You are free in Christ, in Christ alone. Paul actually says that those things, those old restrictions and regulations, they're actually a shadow. They're not the real thing. They're a shadow of what is to come, which is Jesus. So because Jesus has come, we don't have to follow the shadow any longer. We can follow the real thing, which is Jesus. We are free and made holy and righteous through Jesus. What Paul is not doing here. Is condemning the law or teaching us the place of the law or what the purpose of the law is or the value of the law. He's not doing any of that. What, what Paul is doing here, and which he's he's done through the, the whole letter up to this point, and what he's gonna continue to do with this letter is say that Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is supreme. Ultimately, what Paul is, is guarding, uh, is instructing the people to guard themselves against, and it's, it's a word for us today, is legalism. Legalism. Any construct other than just Jesus alone that tells you you have to do it in order to be saved is wrong. It, it is no place. We've talked about it, I think, week after week, right? Jesus plus nothing else equals everything so legalism, what legalism says is that you have to follow a certain set of rules. You have to live a certain way or have a certain type of obedience or righteous living. And, and, and so it's Jesus plus the law or Jesus plus your behavior or Jesus plus a certain type of obedience equals everything. So ultimately what Paul is, is encouraging the church in Colossae, and I believe it's a word for us today, is, is don't let legalism have a place in your life or in The church. No other construct. There's nothing else that you need other than Jesus. Why? Why would would Paul point this out, right? Well, there's certainly cultural things going on in Colossae, right? Where there's there's Jews trying to influence the church, telling it's going to entrap them, right? They're not going to have freedom anymore because they're going to try to be following these rules. Well, Well, Paul knows that Legalism is, is really attractive, right? Legalism is really attractive for the church. It can be really attractive for us to want to create a scorecard so that we can say, oh, we followed this rule and we followed this rule and I didn't do this, but I did this. And all these constructs, we can put these in our life to say, okay, we're, all, we're checking all the boxes, right? We're doing the list, this, this scorecard. Rather than actually giving our hearts to Christ, rather than actually allowing Christ to come into our life and shape us, we just follow the rules, right? We love that type of structure. And Paul knows that that kind of influence, that kind of thing can can penetrate the church. We need to remind ourselves, that we, we too need to guard against legalism, putting any construct, any additional construct, man-made construct for for requirement to be a part of the people of God or the community of faith or or to be saved. We need to to recognize that we want to obey, that we want to live holy, and we want to live righteously, not because we're trying to justify ourselves, not because we're trying to, to earn God's favor, merit his favor, that we live a certain way and then and do a certain number of things and check all the boxes and then, and then we're good with God. Well, no, that's not how it works. We live righteously and holy and want to be obedient as a way to, to thank God, as a way to honor God, as a way to, to glorify him for what he has done in our lives. There is a place for righteousness and holy living, but it's, it's, it's in the order in which we put it. That We don't try to, to live a certain way or look a certain way or behave a certain way in order to warrant anything from God. It's, it's out of our gratitude for what he has done in our lives. We need to guard against legalism because what legalism does is it, it turns us into being judgmental people. When we're looking at our scorecard and I'm, I'm looking at the scorecard of others and I'm wondering, did they measure up? Did they do what they're supposed to do? I, I turn judgmental. I'm, I'm judging others on their behavior, on this, these constructs, and it, it will eat away at my soul. Legalism creates this judgmentalism in our lives and in the church. Legalism robs us of joy. It traps us and begins to enslave us, right? There's, there's freedom and there's joy found in that freedom and, and we get stuck and entrapped. In legalism, we, we live joyless lives, just robbed of the joy from the freedom that we have in Christ because we've, our hearts are His, we're robbed of this joy. Ultimately, what legalism does is it actually provides a very shallow faith experience where you're actually not going deep with Jesus in your heart. You're just following the set of rules. It creates this, this shallow, it's actually a selfish faith experience, self-centered experience. So legalism, Paul's warning, do not be condemned. Do not allow legalism to infiltrate your life or the life of the church. Let's continue on. Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows As God causes it to grow. So don't let anyone condemn you. Second warning: don't let anyone disqualify you. What is what's Paul talking about here when he says disqualification? What Paul is doing is he's he's talking about, if you remember a few weeks ago, a few passages ago, where he talked about the that Christ is this, this treasure, this reward, this prize. We have this, this full knowledge of who Christ is and it, it, it fills us, right? We have this fullness in our lives because of Christ. We have this knowledge of who he is and what he's done and we experience his, his fullness. We experience this freedom. This is this prize, this treasure. Paul is saying, don't let anyone disqualify you for that prize. Apparently, there are people working to disqualify those in the church for that pride, that full knowledge, that full experience with Christ. We've talked about this before, right? That there's, there's influence. Paul, part of Paul's reason for writing this letter is to address some of these influences, e- both inside and outside of the church, that are telling people to do things other than what he instructed them to do. to Adding things to the true gospel that came from Christ. So who are these people? What is... What's Paul talking about here in this section? Well, these people that Paul is talking about are called Gnostics. They follow Gnosticism. We've talked about Gnosticism before, so let me just give you a quick refresher. We'll talk about it in a couple different ways here. But Gnosticism and, and the Gnostics were people that believed ultimately that The individual believer had to have some sort of spiritually enlightened experience, that that was the the most important thing, that they would have this this sort of other realm experience, a spiritual experience, and and that came through a vision. So when Paul talks about here, they go on and on in great detail about what they have seen. He's talking about this this Gnostic teaching that you had to have this this individual, unique, enlightened experience spiritual experience this is the most important thing for the Gnostics it was above and beyond anything that was taught in the church or or anything that came from Paul instruction from Paul this higher knowledge came from these these visions and it was was all important in Gnosticism there's also a part of Gnosticism that Paul addresses here Gnostics also made humility an idol so the Gnostics would say things like, look how humble I am. <laughs> Do you, you see how humble I am? There's this idol of humility. The Gnost- it would go so far as they would say things like, well, we're so lowly, we're so humble, we can't actually worship God directly, so, so we'll worship angels instead. They're, they're a little, they can tolerate us a little bit more. So there's this, this humility that's this requirement for Gnosticism. So Paul is addressing it here. He's saying, he's saying that there's, that's not real humility, right? He calls it false humility. He actually says they're puffed up. It's actually this, this in, in entitled or pride that they have. It's not real humility. It's this, this false humility. The Gnostics, The Gnostics were like this. This special club, right? They had this, this you, were in, you, you were in the inner circle. If you had had this, this spiritual vision, if you practiced this humility, you were part of this Gnostic club. And, and they were working to disqualify others from the prize of Christ by saying you need to be a part of, of our inner circle, and Paul says, don't be lured by this group. Don't, don't buy into this. Protect your freedom again. It. it will enslave you. It will disqualify you because these people are not of Christ. They're pursuing these sensational experiences, these mystical experiences, and they're, they're actually, not, o- not only is it this false humility and this, this puffed up pride, it actually is leading you away from the head. Who is Christ? We talked about this before, right? Christ is the head. So so not only is this, is, is this a, a false humility, it's actually really pride. It's also leading you away from the head, which is Christ. Don't be swayed, Paul is saying. Be grounded in Christ. Protect your, your freedoms against this, this group. And what does this mean for us today? Because I probably won't interact with any Gnostics anytime soon, and I don't think any of you will either. But what, is it, what does it look like today? What, what could this look like today? Let me offer just two things, and I think they're connected to our text this morning. The first thing is, is this sensationalism. The Gnostics, they pursue this sensationalism, right? This otherworldly experience. Well, I think we can do some of the same in the modern church where we're, we pursue this in, this text. Experience sort of week after week in the church where we feel wowed and we this is sensational emotional sort of experience and we just go from that's the way we we know God and we just go from experience to experience to experience in the in the church where we just look for the sensational and want to feel the sensational type experience. And I understand at one level, we we want the experience here in this room, and we want in the big, you know, church globally, we want that experience to be different than what we experience in our daily lives. But I get worried that the church is, at times, can pursue sensationalism and this wow experience at the expense of what is really true about Christ. I, I I get worried that that here at GEBC, we can feel a, a pressure or a weight to be sensational. I get worried if my, if my team feels like we need to wow somebody, right? I get, I get nervous if you think or, or if I think that I need to be sensational. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I am normal. Pretty normal. <laughs> Fairly <laughs> normal. Normal. <laughs> If you're, if you're coming to be wowed and have a sensational experience because of a person, because of what somebody did on this platform, you're going to be disappointed. Because the most sensational thing here is for me to tell you that Jesus is everything. Follow Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Let everything that encumbers you and everything you think you need to do and, and trying to live holy and righteous because you think you're going to warn something from God, free yourself from that and follow Jesus. That's the most sensational thing. We need to guard ourselves about following and trying to have sensational experience and putting pressure on the church internally, on our team or externally to, to wow, right? Okay, the second thing. And it relates to this idea of, a, of this inner ring, this inner club that this, the Gnostics were having, the, the pressure that people felt, well, I'm not in the group. I'm not in the inner ring. C.S. Lewis, in his article called The Inner Ring, says this, to feel excluded or out of it is a miserable feeling. Yet the desire to be in can make you say things you would not otherwise say or not say things you should say. This desire to be on the inside of whatever group you aspire to can affect your work, your political affiliations, your relationships in the community, and in the church. Man, that preaches to me. It preaches to me living in the world, in the town, in the community we live in, right? This desire to be a part of whatever that inner thing is, that inner group, that that they have it and you, are, you don't. And so you sacrifice. You say things you shouldn't say and you don't say things you should say so that you can be a part of that group. I think Paul is keen on knowing that people will, will compromise their identity and compromise who they really are to try to be part of something. I think we do it. I think, we, I think that pressure is real in our lives. Young people... Middle-aged people, old people, we all feel that that pressure. We all feel that pressure to make compromises. And what Paul is saying is your identity is in Christ, in Christ alone. Stay the course. Be firm and disciplined. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. That is who you are. And guard against feeling the pressure to be a part of something that makes you compromise Any of that. All right, let's continue. Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their, fa- and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So Paul has offered warnings about legalism. He's offered a warning about the sensationalism. And this third warning we have for us today is about asceticism. It's kind of a big word. What is asceticism? Asceticism is this, this severe self-discipline that we would put on our lives, on our on our body where we would we'd would, we would remove any sort of pleasure or indulgence in our life. We would we would be so self-disciplined physically and we would we would hold back anything that would bring us any kind of pleasure it's, it's it's similar to legalism but it's an extreme form of legalism what paul is saying here is that through our union with christ we are set free from these man-made rules designed to promote spirituality to practice asceticism paul writes is, is to adopt a worldly system of religion based on elementary principles We talked about Gnosticism earlier, about 12 minutes ago. We talked about Gnosticism earlier. There's there's another part of Gnosticism. Uh, That part of Gnosticism is that the body and the the soul and the spirit are, are not connected. They're two totally separate things. And what is most important is the soul and the spirit. And our body is actually evil and sinful. And so the body is like this, we shouldn't, we shouldn't care about the body. The body is, is bad. The body is enslaving our spiritual experiences. And so the Gnostics would do things like to their body, to hate their body and, and, and hurt their body. You can, hear, you can see Paul talking about the harsh treatment of your body. The Gnostics are, everything was about the spirit and the body was this evil thing that was enslaving them from their spiritual experience. To, to practice asceticism was an attempt to, to free the spirit from the prison of the body. What's interesting is that this type of thinking actually made its way into the church, into the early church. I'll tell you one story that I was looking up this week. Simeon the Stylites was an ancient church uh, priest. And he was um, so set on the body, uh, wanting to punish his body, and that the body was causing him to sin other than the heart, right? he's focused on the body. And so what he did is he built himself a pillar 50 feet high in the air, and he put a very tiny platform at the top of it. And he lived there for 36 years until he died thinking that feeling the, the weather and the elements and, and not having any way to get his own food, people would would throw or, or use things to get food up to him. Being separated from, from people would create this sort of spiritual high, this, this, this spiritual experience that it would, it would warrant and it would obligate God to treat him in a certain way because look how, how spiritual I am living up on top of this, This pillar, going without food and going without sleep, these things made their way into the early church. Even Martin Luther, before discovering the truth of God's grace and justification by faith alone, he almost died, nearly destroyed his health through asceticism. They would do things like walk up flights of stairs over and over and over again on their knees to feel this pain that would The harsh treatment of their bodies that it would warrant something from God. The truth is, is is we know, right, that, that God is most interested, that Jesus is most interested in our hearts, that there's nothing we can do in our body that would warrant God's attention or favor. These things may look really impressive, right, but they are just religiosity. They're not... They look, they have the appearance that these would be wise things to do, but they, they don't. They aren't. It's just religiosity. It manages, it manages to only deal with the outside, right? It doesn't deal with the heart. And Jesus is most interested in our hearts. Our, our hearts, our inner per who we are. That is what Jesus is interested in cleansing. He's interested in saving. He's interested in transforming. And not that our bodies don't matter. Certainly they do. We've talked about that over and over here at GBC. But what Christ changes and transforms is our hearts. That it's not about giving our bodies to him and following a certain type of list of rules. It's it's about our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28, Woe to you, scribes, and Pharisees, these were the religious elite, the, re- the churchy people, the, the leaders in Jesus' day. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, so that the outside may also become clean Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So to you, outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So church, I don't think any of us are, are tempted I mean, I, ho- I hope we're not tempted to build a fifty-foot pillar and go live on top of it for thirty-six years, right? But I do think, I do think we can be tempted into thinking that the outside is what is most important. That we, that that the way that we look and the and thinking that if we just if we do these certain things or look a certain way or say the right things, that that we're okay with God, and that that's not the case. What Jesus is interested in is, is, your, is your heart, your whole heart. Glenn, Glenn said that we, we can hold Jesus right at an arm's length. We want to just kind of manage this, and if you, if you come in and you take over my life and my heart, I, I, no. But this, that's what Jesus wants. He, wants. he wants our whole hearts, our whole lives, where every part of us Every part of our being, the decisions we make, our, our purpose on, in life is, is to honor him and to glorify him and to follow him and experience, experience the freedom from having to manage our sin and manage our lives and look a certain way. He wants our, our whole lives, our whole, he wants us to be free, church. That's what this Sunday is about, just being, being free in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you that he listened to you and, and wrote these words that meant something to that church in Colossae, but they also mean something to this church in Glen Allen on 501 Hillside. God, I pray that today's word will have in, encouraged us where we've needed to be encouraged, rebuked us where we've need to be rebuked, inspired us where we've need to be inspired. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to sing a song in response.